Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Rebound. Uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to our first couple of episodes. This is episode three. I'm Elijah Cooper, and I'm here with my co-host, James Jordan. How you doing today, James? Doing all right. Just got off work, man. Ready to discuss these hot topics, man. What about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. We got a lot to talk about for you guys today. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Zion's heart starting the preseason, some other rookies that have played well. Uh, we're going to talk about the Celtics uh, decobying Jason Tatum. We're going to get into the NBA China situation as well. And then we're going to get uh, touch into some of your topics from Twitter. So we're going to start our show off today with uh, talking about number one pick Zion Williamson. So far in the preseason, he has flat out been a stud. Um, he, right now, he's leading all rookies in scoring, averaging 23.3 points per game. That was as of October 13th. Uh, that may have updated as of today. But uh, he's shooting a ridiculous percentage uh, from the field, uh, mostly because he's getting to the basket at will right now. So my question to you, James, is this you know, something sustainable or you think it's just a hot start for him, you know, can he keep this, can he keep this rolling? I mean, as far as points I'm concerned, I believe he can keep it rolling, but as far as field goal percentage, I believe it's going to go down. Um, just because it's, it's only preseason, people are not really scheming towards him yet. And then it's also, you got to figure that uh, most of the centers are not, I mean, they're getting minutes, but they're playing for 10 to 15, right. and then they're done for the night. Mm -hmm. So Zion is mostly going against guys he played against in college. Mm -hmm. um, some older guys, some older vets that are fighting for a roster position. you got to consider that. And then also, like other teams, like they're just figuring out what they want to do for the year. So they're probably just working on smaller things, like their offensive scheme, their tempo, smaller stuff like that, where they're not focused on, oh, we got to stop Zion. So... I mean, his field goal percentage is going to drop. Um, I feel like his three-point percentage may increase a little bit throughout the season. It's at 25% right now. I mean, he's not shooting it a whole lot. Um, but that's kind of what I expect him, um, from him, from the three-point line. But I think it will improve a little bit, maybe to 30%, 31%. We'll see how the season goes. But um, I don't think that he would you know, be more efficient in the season or just as efficient. I actually believe it will go down. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, the, you know, the field goal percentage will drop significantly. I think his points per game will even go down. I think it'll hover closer to, like, right around the 20 range rather than up okay. at 23. So a slight dip. Um, like you said, nobody's really playing super hard defense in the preseason right now except for people who are, like, trying to make rosters. Um, which is our, a very select few. So, you know, a 280-pound guy playing really hard right now, nobody's really going to, you know, work hard to to body up with him and be physical with him and move him off his spots. Plus, there's really not any film on him, on, like, you know, uh, what bothers Yeah, like, what bothers him, you know what I mean? So there's no tendencies or anything like that. I do think he's going to he's gonna have an, an excellent rookie year. I picked him for... for you know, rookie of the year. I just don't think what he's doing right now is quite sustainable, but it is good to see him get off to a hot start. I mean, that's better than, you know, him getting off to a cold one. So good for him. Uh, good for the Pelicans. I'm sure they're excited to see him, you know, start off so well. Uh, 
And, you know, Zion actually isn't the only rookie right now that's gotten off to a hot start. There's quite a few uh, who have put in some good production, uh, notably Jordan Poole, who's the second leading scorer amongst rookies, averaging 18 a game from the Golden State Warriors, kid out of Michigan, who was a late first-round pick. I actually really liked that pick for Golden State, a kid who can score the basketball uh, probably off the bench for them this year. Um, which is something they didn't really have was a scorer off the bench previously. You know, that was part of the reshaping of the roster that we talked about in our first episode. Um, and then my guy, Kobe White, averaging 16-8 a game for the Chicago Bulls, UNC product. Um, you know, really filling it up. He looks comfortable. Uh, and I thought it was an excellent pick from the Bulls. They really addressed a need at the point guard position, even though Chris Dunn is solid. I think Kobe White's a future star at that position. So... Some other good rookies. Any any rookies you want to, you know, give a shout-out to that's playing really well right now? Um, Pretty much I would like to point out Tyler Harrow. I feel yeah. like that's going to be a good addition uh, for the Heat. Um, just with Jimmy Butler going there, I mean, that was just a big question mark, just why the Heat. And they kind of addressed it um, in the offseason and draft. Um, the kid right now, he's averaging 16.3 points, um, shooting 55% from the field, and a whopping 54 from the three. So that's actually pretty good out of all the rookies. Um, so he's, if we had to pick one here today, Tyler Arrow would be the one to look out for throughout the season. Um, I honestly feel like he could light it up as a number three option, number four option. So um, we're going to see where that takes us throughout the season. Yeah. Um, and just like you um, said with Kobe White, mm-hmm. um, I like what the Bulls did there. Yep. And I honestly feel like um, throughout the season, he's going to pick up in production, figure out some ways to use him in a pick and roll, mm-hmm. see if he can develop a floater game. And then I think that will actually benefit him the most in that system with the Bulls. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, you know, to go back to Tyler Harrow, he's been um, he's been exciting to watch in the preseason. And that's a kid that I, out of Kentucky that I like. that back, right? Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a confident kid too, which is uh, something that I like in a player. So um, he's he's going to be exciting to watch this year for Miami, like you said. So definitely agree with you there. Now we got to transition into talking about my boy Curry. Uh, oh, dropped dropped a forty piece the other night. Uh, Steve Kerr uh, said he's at his peak mentally and physically. Uh, you agree with that? You think Curry's at the peak of his game right now? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to agree that Curry's in the peak of his. Um, well, he's at his prime. I mean, we haven't seen any signs in dropping production. Um, even with the injuries, I mean, he even showed us that he could still shoot it. He can still play up tempo. Uh, I mean, defense always been a question mark, but it's it's an offensive league. Nobody honestly cares about defense <laughs> unless you're a role player. Um, so yes, I do agree that Curry is at his prime and at his peak right now. And honestly, this is a season to look out for potentially an MVP season from Curry. Um, he may fall at number two or three, but don't be surprised if he actually gets MVP. And potentially if he can get Clay back and help him do some damage in the playoffs, but that's a big if. Yeah. So we'll see about that. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I we, we both had him in you know the top two spots for MVP this year. So, um, you know, I, I definitely expect him to come out and uh and have a have an excellent season, you know, going back to being the go to guy for the Warriors, especially with Clay out. Mm-hmm. Now we gotta get to the Boston Celtics. Uh they 
you know, we'll, and we'll start with, you know, the Jason Tatum situation. Uh, you know, the Celtics, you know, Jason, as, as most of you may know, Jason Tatum spent a little bit of time working with Kobe Bryant last summer. Uh, and, you know, the Celtics feel like, you know, that might have been something, uh, you know, that held him back. They, they feel they need to de-Kobe him because he was taking a lot of tough mid-range shots, um, you know, rather than passing up open threes, things like that. So, you know, the Celtics want him to get back to attacking the basket or, or taking threes and shooting, you know, less from the mid-range. You think he needs to de-Kobe? They, they need to de-Kobe Jason Tatum? Is that really the problem here? I mean, I wouldn't say just... I mean, he's getting advice from Kobe. I mean... It's hard to beat Kobe. I mean, just taking a step back, figuring out what his game is, that's possibly something that he can look into um, as far as his organization, yeah, maybe. But um, I feel like they're just elaborating or putting the emphasis on taking advice from Kobe too much. I feel like they're looking too deeply into it um, because the best players, you're going to take some shots. You're going to take some Kobe shots. Kobe, MJ, LeBron, whatever you want to call it, right. you're going to take those tough mid-range shots. That's going to separate you from the best and between average and you know slightly above average, whatever the case may have you. Um, but the fact that you know he has a good jump shot, I mean, I feel like he should have some confidence and shoot it, contested or not. Um, yeah, I mean, and then. If they feel as if they, he needs to take those three-pointers, maybe he's not comfortable. Maybe he wants an easier shot. Maybe he wants to get a little closer, and then maybe it's contested. You never – I mean, so many variables to take into consideration regarding this Jason Tatum thing, but I don't I don't think um, not taking advice from Kobe or at least, um, you know, taking those shots because what if, you know – Let's say if he draws away or if he gets back to the three-point line and then he's just not shooting it as good, then what? Right. And then now that's the issue. So it's just yeah, it's just too many variables. So I feel like they're looking too deeply into it. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's completely overblown. Um, you know, I think the mid one, you know, analytics is kind of trying to push the mid-range game out, which we'll get into later in the show. Yeah. But, you know, if... No, I, I'm 100% sure that in his workouts with Kobe Bryant, Kobe wasn't telling him to pass up open threes, dribble into a defender, and shoot a contested mid-range. You know, like, like Kobe's obviously telling him, you know, take the best shot, but, you know, and but worked on, you know, different mid-range moves and things like that with him, you know, because if you want to, like you said, if you want to be a superstar in this league, you have to make tough shots against great defense because... You're going to get, if you're, uh, the best players in this league get everybody's best defender and best defense every single night. So, obviously, you're going to have to hit some tough shots. Like, LeBron has adopted the turnaround fadeaway from mid-range area. You know, KD shoots a lot from the mid-range area. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, you know, these guys operate in the mid-range uh, area a lot. So, you know, to, to tell Jason Tatum, you know, maybe to not take those shots might actually be doing a disservice to him. And I get it. He's a good three-point shooter, and if he's open, he absolutely should be taking them. Or if he can get all the way to the rim, he should get all the way to the rim. Um, you know, but I don't think – I think them putting an emphasis or trying to make Kobe out to be the bad guy or the reason that Jason Tatum, you know, didn't have a strong second season is overblown. And if if that's what they're focusing on, they're they're not going to see the leap from Jason Tatum that they want because 
there are there were bigger problems with Jason Tatum last year than him taking Kobe like shots uh, in his second season. And then just me chiming back in, honestly, just looking at last season, I just feel like he just wasn't as aggressive as he yeah. was the year prior. I mean, like, yes, he did take more mid-range jump shots, but what's the difference between him taking a contested three-point shot and a mid-range shot? I'd rather him get closer to the basket because now with Kyrie gone, you have Kemba, you have Jalen Brown, and then well, you maybe have Smart, and then you have Cantier. Mm-hmm. Tatum's going to be one. It's going to be the one shooting that shot. He, yep. They're going to close out on Tatum every time. Close yep. out. They're going to make him pass the ball to Brown, which is the number two option or the number three option at that point. So I honestly just don't see. It. I agree with you. It's going to do him um, a disservice. Um, yeah, it's just pointless, honestly. I mean, it's, he's going to have to make those shots regardless, now or later. Right. So that's going to define his career. Agreed. So. Now, as, as far as the rest of the Celtics, the, there were four Celtics that were on the USA World Cup roster, um, which is Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Now, Tatum got hurt in the earlier rounds of the tournament and missed uh, pretty much the remainder of it. But uh, given how U.S. you know finished at the World Cup, which was not great, you know, is this something that should concern the Celtics since they you know made up a third of that roster? I mean, I feel like it would be a big concern. I mean, just like we even, I think we even touched on this on the first or second episode. Mm-hmm. Um, just the chemistry just looks off. And then adding Kemba to the mix, I don't feel like Kemba's necessarily the answer that they need right now um, going throughout the season. It just, they, they just didn't look like they communicated much on the court. I mean, I understand that you have other players involved, but. As far as competing, I just don't think right now they have the roster to do it. So, uh, what do you think? I agree with you. I, I, I ranked them seventh in the East for that reason. They were extremely underwhelming at the World Cup, and their roster got significantly worse this year. Um, they're, they, you know, they are going to need a big leap from Jason Tatum this year to be competitive. I think they need him to be in the 20 to 25 point per game range for them to be, you know, anywhere near a top four or five seed. And I, I think, if anything, he's closer to the lower 20s than that, which probably puts him around the seventh seed. Um, Kemba Walker's not as good as Kyrie Irving. Uh, but like I said before, Al Horford isn't there. Yeah. Uh, and they replaced him with Ennis Cantor, and that's that's going to be a huge loss for them. So, you know, I, I don't have high expectations for the Celtics. Um, and I think the World Cup kind of was an indicator of why. I don't think it's the biggest reason why. It's not, you know, I don't think it's something that they can't bounce back from, but they have some work to do. Yeah. And then you think about it, I mean, everyone's getting big men now. I mean, even, even the Suns have a big man. I mean, he's not producing, but, yeah, cancer is just not it, bro. Like, yeah. you really went and got that piece like he's going to actually help like you claim that Tatum is having a down season you claim that uh, Kemba is not as good as Kyrie like is this is this addition or subtraction or what's going on I mean yeah so it's just a lot with the Celtics right now I don't even have them making the playoffs that's right yeah you didn't you had the Hawks in over there 
Um, right. Well, let's move on to our uh, next topic, which is about Chris Stapps Porzingis. We are getting KP back, and we see him in his new threads now with the Dallas Mavericks, no longer a New York Nick, uh, after being dealt at do- uh, around the deadline last year. You think he's going to bounce back this year after an entire season off? from KP days recovered well and actually if you look um, a little closely I mean it looks like he put on some pounds mm-hmm. in yeah. so um, that's always been the biggest con with me is just he can never I mean he could rebound just because of his height mm-hmm. but not necessarily because of his full company size right. and then moving forward just adding some weight to him I mean it's going to be harder to move harder to keep off um, keep out the paint harder to box out um, so I feel like that's going to come to his advantage. And then also, um, him is just shooting the three the way he can, just stretch out the fours and the fives. That's going to be good uh, for Dallas. And then, yeah, I mean, and then also you got to consider you got Luka at his side. So yeah. I really feel like that's just going to be a dangerous combo waiting to happen. I agree. I think those two are going to gel well together. It's going to take a little bit for a person gets to shake off some of the rust, get back in game shape. Um, which is, you know, something that you can really only get into by playing games, um, you know. And like you said, he does look a little bit stronger, which should help. Um, I'm hoping he can stay healthy. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the court. He's an exciting player, uh, very skilled. Like you said, he stretches the defense. Um, and, you know, that the little Euro duo between him and Luka Doncic uh, is definitely going to be, you know, something interesting to watch uh, this season. So, you know, hey, hoping for the best. Now, do you feel like he's going to be just as impactful as Dirk Nowitzki? I don't know about that quite yet. I think, especially <laughs> not this early in his career. I think he, he obviously has that potential, even a little bit more, because he's more athletic than Dirk. So his ceiling, yeah. I think his ceiling is higher than Dirk. But Dirk was a flat out killer. Uh, so yeah, you know, especially Por- with the clutch shots. Right, you know, so Porzingis, if uh, if he can develop into you know Dirk in athletic Dirk, and that's that's just flat out scary. So and and that's the thing people got to remember. Porzingis is is still a very young player. What's he in his? This will be his fourth season in the NBA. Now. Yeah, fourth. Yeah. So you know the you know he hasn't even really hit his prime yet. So it'll be good to see him get back on the court this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we want to see if he can develop his post game. That was also another con with me. Uh, sometimes he forces up bad shots. Yeah. But honestly, I think this year, or maybe even next year, he develops that shot. He just becomes unstoppable. But, like, come on, at seven, I don't, honestly don't even know how tall he is. What is he, seven? Seven, seven two? Seven, seven one? Seven two? Yeah, seven three or something like that. He's, yeah, he's up there. Yeah, goddamn. Yeah, he's tall as hell. But, <laughs> yeah, there's no way somebody's going to block that. So he has to develop that shot if he wants to become unstoppable. All right, so now we got to get into uh, the China situation going on from the NBA right now. Um, you know, to for if you don't, if you haven't heard already, uh, Daryl Morey tweeted in support of uh, the Hong Kong protesters. Um, you know, while NBA teams are currently playing preseason games over in China, uh, and it's caused quite a stir uh, as the Chinese government uh, was obviously not happy about it. Um, so, you know, and many people have, have voiced their opinions on this, uh, Trump, 
called out uh, Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. LeBron made some comments yesterday, um, uh, basically saying he uh, that Darryl, saying that Daryl Morey was not thinking about the ramifications of his tweet before sending it out. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, on this, you know, situation and how the NBA is handling it, how people are responding to it? You know, just give me your thoughts. Now, as far as China, I just think it was, yeah, it's definitely wrong to tweet that out, um, especially while we're playing games in China. Like, last thing you know, they're just holding players hostage over there in China. I mean, that's the last thing that we want. And then also, you got to, I mean, when LeBron tweeted, I mean, people are looking too deeply into it. I mean, we just don't want to get involved in the politics. That's what we have a president for. That's what we have politicians for. That's their business. We're here for entertainment, basketball. Um, So as far as we're trying to further or at least advertise basketball overseas just to see if we can get additional teams in different countries. So that's pretty much what we're doing by going overseas. But, of course, I mean, the general manager or the owner didn't really think about what was behind that tweet. I mean, you can either go both ways. I mean, it's going to affect our players or it's pretty much just going to affect our relationship with China um, in regards to politics, I mean, because pretty much what he tweeted is totally against their political strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just my thoughts on it. I just feel like we're thinking too deeply into what LeBron tweeted, um, and he and he is right. I mean, there's a lot more that could have been said, but it's, it's just not the right time or place to do that. I mean, let's just move on, just play basketball, focus on that for right now. And then we could just deal that deal with that at a later date. People just think that just because uh, LeBron has a shoe deal, um, him saying this is going to affect his shoe deal. No, that's, that's not what he's worried about at all. Uh, there's a lot of bigger um, tasks at hand, or I would say that's on his agenda that he needs to take care of before he speaks out on something that he's not necessarily educated on. You know, so that's just my take on it. That's my hot take. <laughs> Yeah, and this is actually a topic, um, the, the whole China situation, since we started this podcast, I've actually, I didn't want to get into it because it's it's technically not basketball, it's really politics. But after what LeBron said yesterday and seeing the reaction and, um, throughout social media, I, I felt like we had to discuss it. Um, and there's, there's so many things I have to say about this, I, I don't really know where to start. One... If you were one of the people when LeBron James came out and, you know, voiced his displeasure about social injustices happening right here in America and you told him to shut up and dribble or you were okay with Laura Ingram telling him to shut up and dribble, you have absolutely no right to criticize that man for anything he says about China or doesn't say about China, or any other NBA player not speaking out. You know, you want guys to come out and, and condemn China for social injustices and, and human rights violations when those there are human rights violations and social injustices happening right here in America every day. A woman just got shot. 
by a police officer in her own home for no reason. And we're spending more time talking about NBA players not speaking about about injustices in China than we are about that. That makes no sense to me. Who are we as American people to be telling other countries how they should be operating right now when we have major issues going on right here, including with the president? who had the nerve to criticize Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich for not speaking out against China while they're over there playing in China in a communist country that can detain them for any reason and do whatever they want to shoot. They locked Leangelo Ball up for stealing sunglasses. And, and political figures had to go over there and just to get him out for stealing sunglasses. This man tweeted in support of Hong Kong protesters while NBA players are currently playing games in China. That is a safety issue. And that's all that LeBron was touching on. He was saying that, he didn't say that Daryl Morey wasn't thinking about, you know, or wasn't educated about the actual political issue. He said Daryl Morey wasn't, uh, wasn't educated on what could possibly happen if he sent that tweet. He put other NBA players in danger. He put the league in danger with sending that tweet without thinking that's what lebron was talking about and now you guys are people or i don't want to say you guys there are people trying to paint a picture that lebron is pro china nowhere in his statement if you actually watch the video clip did he say anything in favor of the chinese government so i have, i really don't have any idea how people are coming to that conclusion and you know like i said it, you can't expect guys, you know, LeBron is not a, and for LeBron to come out or any other NBA player to come out and condemn China for these human rights violations, there's, there's two things wrong with people trying to, you know, force these guys into talking about that. One, these are not new issues. China is a communist country. They have been doing this for years. They have had these issues in their country for years, yet American businesses have been uh, have been sending, you know, having sweatshops over there in China for years, including Nike, who sponsors NBA uniforms. So now all of a sudden, when Daryl Morey tweets something, now everybody has a moral compass and wants people to condemn China. Half of the stuff in your home comes from China. And oh, but now you want people to condemn China. Oh, nothing was wrong with China as long as they were making your Nike clothes and all the other things that you have in your house. There was nothing wrong with China. Now, because some NBA players aren't speaking out against social justices in a country that they don't live in, now you want to be all about human rights. No, stop it. Kill that noise right now. Kill it. And, and no, honestly, no American citizen has the right to, like I said earlier, has the right to speak about China when there are social injustice and human rights violations happening right here on American soil. So why don't we fix our own country first before we start expecting, and in, in, in a, in a country, obviously NBA players are more informed and aware about what's going on here than what they are in another country. Why don't we, instead of uh, holding these guys accountable to fix the situation and trying to you keep that energy for Trump. Tell him to do something about it. He's the person that can actually do something. Nobody cares. No, Chinese government doesn't care about what LeBron James has to say. He can't affect any change over there. Why should he stand out and say something? 
and and then the last thing I want to say before we, we you know because we have to move on is you know I, uh, ESPN sent out a video of Hong Kong protesters bro- burning LeBron James jerseys. Like I said, he never came out and said he was pro Chinese government in his statement. And where were these Hong Kong protesters when it was time to talk about black issues here in America? Because that's definitely a worldwide issue that people know well about. Was anybody in China standing up for black people? Because that would be news to me. So just something to think about when, you know, people are are discussing this issue and, you know, trying to condemn these these black athletes and and any anybody else in, in the NBA for this China situation fall back because it's a much more complex issue than just talking about social injustices. You are in a you are they are currently stationed in a communist country. They don't have that kind of and they don't have that kind of freedom to say whatever they want over there like they do over here. So let's just relax on that. All right, so now let's go ahead and get into uh, some topics from uh, Twitter this week and talk about uh, some of the topics that you guys sent to us. First, we want to get into uh, the a topic that came from at Dev Bino. Uh, should the draft lottery end? Very interesting question. What are your thoughts on that? Now, as far as the draft lottery, I mean, I me personally, I would like to find some sort of alternative to the draft lottery, um, mm-hmm. but we have to we have to understand this has been in place since 1985, I believe. Yep. Um, now, and this is just to prevent um, the incentive on losing on purpose. Right. Now, the bigger question is, what alternative um, do we have in order to replace the draft lottery? Right. Um, we can do a pure lottery. I mean, um, I see it having more downside than upside. Um, we could do a possibly, you know, like a tournament for the number one draft pick, but that's kind of pointless because, I mean, what about the bads? I mean, the point is to give the number one draft pick to the worst teams. I mean, right. if you're playing uh, for the number one uh, draft pick, it's just kind of pointless to me. It's just the best worst team that didn't make the playoffs. Right. Um, or you can do uh, draft base on team salaries uh, that would honestly that's not a bad idea but but then we're only factoring uh, certain teams that just doesn't have the cap in order to get a free agent at that uh, well in that market so we just give them a number one draft pick I don't necessarily agree with that but I believe it has more upsides than downsides um I mean, those are the only alternatives that I see. I mean, as far as right now, I think we should just keep it. I personally don't like the draft lottery, but in, just until we find some sort of alternative, then we can address it. Yeah. Um, now, do you see any alternatives besides the draft lottery right now? I do, but it would require a huge cultural change. Um, yeah. Let me let me explain. So, um, if anyone pays attention to like European sports. Um, mainly soccer. Um, they basically, everything is club over there. Uh, there's no high school sports. There's no college sports. It's all club. 
Um, like for and and basically you have you know like your senior club. Um, so let me I'll just use like Liverpool for example. You got Liverpool. Um, you know, in England, which is a, a big like soccer club over there, and they will have you know their senior team, which is where their best players play, uh, things like that. And but then they have their youth squads and their youth programs, so like it goes all the way down to like U8, you know what I mean, kind of like AAU. So basically, like their, their programs, their youth programs are built under the senior club. So, like, a young kid, you know, gets to play for the U8 Liverpool team, and as he gets older, he stays in that youth program. And then if he's good enough, he eventually gets signed to Liverpool, or maybe another club comes in and signs him, you know what I mean, or, or whatever. Um, and, and it would basically do away with high school, ba the politics of high school basketball and college basketball, um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, you're, you're automatically, you know, with that club. Now, you'd also have to get, you know, you're, at that point, you're getting rid of the draft altogether, and you're kind of just doing, like, uh, what they call a transfer market over there, uh, you know, in, in European sports. So, you know, that would be, really, that, to me, is the best alternative, because that way you can grow and develop your players, um, you know, structurally, you know what I mean, as they're, as kids going up and through the club, and then that way it's a, it's a little bit better of a distribution of, of the talent, because, you know, p kids will play with, you know, multiple different clubs, you know, to try to, you know, make it to their dream of playing in the NBA. So, if, if we're, we were to get rid of the lottery, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, I, it de-incentivize, I mean, de-incentivizes, tanking um slightly but um so I don't, I don't have a i don't have a huge problem with the lottery but if you're going to get rid of it it needs to be a complete cultural change because then you get rid of the problems with the ncaa um you know and things like that like it's it would truly then be youth sports where you, you either don't pay the kids or you pay or you can pay them because they're you know they're they're not you know under the ncaa regulations or anything like that so it gets rid of that whole situation as well now the next topic that we got uh in something that i mentioned earlier in the show is um analytics and it basically killing the mid-range game every year the amount of mid-range shots taken in the nba over the last five years has decreased i think last year it was at 9.8 percent of shots were taken in the mid-range area so what are your thoughts on, you know, because analytics basically is saying we want threes, layups, or free throws because those are the highest percentage shots. Um, do you agree with the analytics or do you think um, you, you think the mid-range, it, it does a disservice to players by having them not utilize the mid-range game? I mean, I feel like it's only a matter of, well, just to address your question, I just feel like it's only a matter of time just until... Um, the percentages go back down just because now we're only taking layups, dunks, and then three-point shots. And right. no one's taking mid-range shots. So then defenses can focus on the three-point shots. And then I feel like it's just going to be a back-and-forth thing. I feel like mm -hmm. eventually we're going to get back to the mid-range mm -hmm. um, just because, I mean, some players are just going to have to play to their strengths. Right. Uh, why, why would you tell a player to not, oh, don't take that uh, mid-range jump shot that you like so much? Right. Uh, we want you to shoot this three pointer that we know that we've scouted since high school that is pretty much not your game right now. Right. Um, so I just feel like it definitely is killing the game. I mean, even think about the whole 
Carmelo situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rockets pretty much told him, hey, we don't want you to take any mid-range jump shots. We only want you to take threes. Right. Like that, We all know that Carmelo is probably arguably the best mid-range scorer, probably top five, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just absolutely told him just to abandon his game. This is what we want you to do. Like You just can't do that to a player. So, yes, in a sense, I am saying that analytics is essentially killing basketball right now. Yeah, and I think the reason, I think it's because I'm not against analytics at all. Like, I think it absolutely should be used as a template. But, like, if you're literally playing the game based on analytics, you have a problem. Like, the Houston Rockets. And it's not healthy. You know, they they shot themselves out of so many playoff series. Remember that game with the Warriors? Where yeah. They shot an abysmal amount of three-pointers where they only made, like, three out of, like, 50 or something crazy like that? Yeah, they, they, they missed 27 straight threes or something like something crazy like that a couple of years ago. And then, you know, went on Twitter blaming the refs a year later. But, like, no. you know, that's that's what I'm that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you took 27 straight three-point shots and didn't hit any of them. How many You're times could you have shot faked, one dribble pulled up, and gotten two points out of those possessions? You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Like, you know, out yeah. of all 27 shots, you never thought in your mind, like, hey, let me actually switch it up. Try to actually attack the basket. No, that was never the point of emphasis. I'm gonna just keep chucking them up. That's what the coach told me. I'm gonna just keep chucking them up. Yeah, and and like you mentioned earlier, uh, you made a great point. Like you know, if everybody knows that you're trying to get threes and layups, guess what we're gonna defend the threes and the layups. So like people will literally be out there passing up open mid range shots because analytics tells them that it's a lower percentage. It's a lower percentage shot because it's normally contested. But now that we know you're not trying to take it, I'm going to force you to, I'm going to let you take it. Now it's not a lower percentage shot. You're open. Shoot it. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't overthink the game. You shouldn't be out there with a calculator in your head trying to think about, you know, how you can, you know, what percentage uh, is the shot that you're taking. Are you open or are you not? Is, is, you know, at that point is the decision that you have to make. If the defense gives you the three, take it. If you can get all the way to the basket, get all the way to the basket. But if both of those options are taken away from you and you have an open elbow jump shot, shoot it. Two points is better than zero, right? Even though three might be better than two, two is still better than zero. You might as well, you know what I mean? Don't don't overthink it, you know, or try to force your force, you know, players into, you know, these so-called higher percentage shots. When, because when you're forcing them to take them shots, you actually drop the percentage of them. So, you know what I mean? Then what happens? Then the analytics will make, oh, crap, the mid-range shot is actually now the highest percentage shot in basketball. Now that's the one we want you guys to that's take. That's exactly what's going to happen. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just like it, basketball is not a math equation. It's a game of feel. You got to go out there and, and play – to what the defense gives you. like That's always been the saying in basketball. Take what the defense gives you. Simple as that. Right. Simple. And then tendencies and percentages change. Yes. Each game, each season. Like, And I don't know why. Like, You pay these guys like so many dollars. I mean, come on. Like a 12th grader can figure this out. Like, right. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. Like, yes, you know why it's the hardest percentage? Because everyone can shoot a mid-range jump shot, at least to some extent. Not everybody can shoot a three-point jump shot. So, yes, 
we're going to play towards the paint. We're going to play towards 16-foot, a 20-foot, or a 24-foot jump shot. Right. So, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's just getting out of hand. I mean, just thinking about it for two seconds, I'm just like, well, here's the problem. I mean, we're just not contesting the three-pointers. I mean, that's just what it is right now. Or a layup, most likely the layup is wide open. You don't have to tell me to take a layup or a dunk. Are you serious? Like, it's normally a fast break or the lane is wide open. Right. Yeah, so, all right. So let's get into our final topic of the day. Um, And this one came from uh, David Van Zandt. Should NCAA athletes, uh, you know, be able to profit off of their likeness? How will it impact college sports? Um, This is, you know, based around, obviously, the bill passing in California that is allowing college players or NCAA athletes to profit off their likeness. I believe a similar bill has been proposed in New York as well. Um, So we could see this happen in in more states going forward. What are your thoughts on it and how it's going to impact college sports? I mean, I feel like um, they should be able to profit off their likeness. Just, uh, and we have to figure out some sort of alternative. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, give this kid millions of dollars. Right. But I feel like we should cap them at a certain point, let's say um, 100000 Right. Say so we cap them off at 100000 At least be reasonable. You don't want them to live way out of their means in college or at least make ridiculous decisions. Like we still want them to get an education. I mean, just look at the people that go to college, try to go to the NBA, get injured, and then eventually go back to school. Right. So, yeah, I feel like we definitely have to be sensitive with the situation mm-hmm. or at least uh, do an investment portfolio for some of these college kids where they can't mm. touch this money until they're at a certain age. I actually I mean, love that. So I feel like we... I mean, as a society, I mean, we have to be supportive of it. I mean, it's just like it's just wrong just to give all the money to a private college. I mean, right. I mean, I just feel like it's wrong. I mean, if I'm balling out and then I'm the reason why we're balling out right now, I feel like I should get some sort of incentive. At least like, when I decide to have a family one day, oh, I know I have $20 million in stocks that I can now have access to. Yeah. I feel like that would be a good investment. Yeah, actually, that's actually the first time I've ever heard something like that proposed. I, I don't, I think that's a that's a great idea. But, um, I mean, back to to you know the the profiting off likeness. I thought I always thought that was the easiest solution. Um, you know, one of the biggest knocks on it was like, oh well, if we pay one one player, you know, we ought to pay everybody else. Not everybody else is, you know, not everybody's worth the same amount. You know, Johnny Johnny Manziel wasn't worth the same amount as a walk-on in Texas A&M and things like that. And, you know, my thing is always, all right, well, you know, give everybody a small stipend, you know, or something like that, uh, or and then, you know, let players make money off of their likeness. Let them sell memorabilia. Let them get endorsement deals. Bring the college football and basketball games back and put the kids' names on them. They can get money that way. Like, I never understood why that was such a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and even if it's just a portion of that, like, you know, give if, if you do a college basketball game and you use Cole Anthony's name, 
you know, the new NC gets part of it, Cole Anthony gets part of it, you know what I mean? Like, at least that way, kids are being compensated in some way, shape, or form. I think that that's all that people really wanted. No one's asking them to give them NBA contracts. We're just saying, like, compensate these kids for something that the NCAA is making billions off of. And then, like you said, or even if you don't want to give, like, I thought that was a great idea. If you don't want to give them that money directly, right, and keep them, like, amateur or whatever, like, let those, pl- let those you know, players, like, the money that they would make off the light- likeness, you know, put it in an investment portfolio that they can't touch until this, eight, until they get out of college, graduate, and get their degree, and then they can do whatever they want with it. Like, you know, I, I think that's it. I really do. I think that's a great idea. Or, you know, however you want to do it. Right. Graduate, get your degree. Like, I don't understand why people with degrees can't think of a simple solution. Like, I mean, like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that, that, yeah, that solves your little one and done uh, dilemma that you've been, that the NBA actually created by making kids go to college. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just, I always thought this was an issue that was made more complex than it had to be. And I, you know, I, I think the letting players profit off their likeness is an easy solution to it, uh, or at least a step to a solution uh, towards the problem. So, you know, bravo to California. Hopefully other states get this going. Um, so, you know, these kids, so people can stop taking advantage of these kids. Right. All right. Well, that's all that we have for the show today. Uh, James, do you have anything else that you wanted to add on before we sign off? guys send us your you know tweets at the rebound pod follow us on twitter uh we're gonna get a lot of basketball discussions going on twitter um throughout the week um that way we can get a gauge on you know talking about topics that you guys want to talk about so make sure you follow us send us your tweets uh you know we'll and respond to you know our comments stuff like that um we'll we'll post you know certain debate topics and things like that just to kind of get things going um, you know, so feel free to follow us on Twitter. Also, feel free to follow me and James ourselves. Um, I'm at uh, el1 underscore coop, uh, and uh, also follow James. Life. Yeah, this life is a gamble. Um, life. Uh, let me see. I forgot where I put the underscore. I think it's after it's gamble. Life. Life yeah. is a gamble. Life underscore. Is a underscore gamble three. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. So go follow us on Twitter and then follow at the Rebound Pod uh, for updates and uh, about the show and also to get into some topics with us. Uh, also want to give out a shout out to our friends over at the Mikey and Friends podcast. Make sure you guys follow them on Twitter as well. Um, you'll actually hear me a couple of times over there to talk about soccer and maybe some other topics as well. Uh, so shout out to them as well. And soccer. Uh, <laughs> and uh again we uh we want to thank you guys for tuning in uh to the podcast we appreciate you know everybody um you know showing us some love so uh thanks again for that and you guys have a great night <laughs>